Blog Talk Radio. Original one. 
Thank you, Brother Anthony. Going from Brother Anthony, we're going to go to Brother Moses. And we would like to welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. Um, I want to read a little something that says, Which side are you on? Jesus said in Luke 16, 16, that the law and the prophets were until John the Baptist, since the kingdom of heaven is preached. Jesus also prayed that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yet many preachers today, unlike Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., are telling people to accept conditions as they are, ignore the world, and just keep coming to church and paying your tithes because Jesus will solve all the world's injustices when he returns. However, the Palestinian people need your help. Your tax dollars are paying to maintain the racist apartheid government of Israel. The U.S. government props up Israel with billions of dollars each year. Zionism is racism. The belief in government of Jews by Jews and for only Jews is Zionism. Well over 2,000 years ago, there was a Jewish kingdom. But when Jesus was born, the Jews were no longer a nation state. Some wanted to return to the good old days. But Jesus said his kingdom was not of this world. He was a revolutionary and an internationalist because he was for all people, not just Jews. In 1948, Palestine was occupied by a well-armed group of Jews who killed and maimed and to establish Israel, and that government continues to kill and displace the Palestinian people from their homeland. These Jews are not Christian and don't claim to be Christians, yet it's primarily the Christian communities that support them. Either you're part of the solution or you're part of the problem. Get involved. The people of Palestine and the freedom-loving people around the world will not rest until Palestine is free. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Father and Brother Moses, we now can bring in Sister Eleanor, and we'd like to welcome her to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Sister Eleanor. Um, thank you. Good evening, Brother Africa, fellow panelists, to our guests, and all of our listeners. I uh, appreciate uh, Brother Africa, uh, Brother Moses' comments on the Palestinian issue and the Palestinian people suffering under apartheid in their own land and the fact that Israel is a military settler state financed by the United States. I also stand in solidarity with the Afghan people, the people of the the Cuban Revolution, and all workers around the world. So with that in mind, I look forward to another fascinating and exciting educational show this evening. And uh, thank you once again for uh, inviting me to participate. So it's always on. I'm with this phone bear with me technologically, guys. We're going to be all right. Let's be a little patient. I got things just a little better now. Yes, we'd like to welcome to Africa on the Move. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to actually briefly just share a little bit of something that's going on in your world community. Uh, we'll start off with you, Brother Anthony. What's going on in your world in the community, Brother Anthony? Uh, certainly. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, tomorrow, 
marks uh, November 15th, 2021, marks the 23rd anniversary of Kwame Ture's transition. Uh, As uh, many of you may recall, uh, Kwame uh, Ture succumbed to, uh, to cancer on November 15th, 1998. And uh, let's see, for those who uh, who may remember or do not know, Kwame Ture was, uh, was a staunch Pan-Africanism, Pan-Africanist and um, uh, a student of uh, Kwame Nkrumah and Ahmed Sekou Ture. And uh, he devoted uh most of his adult life to trying to build the all African People's Revolutionary Party. During his youth, he gained fame for re-echoing the, the centuries-old cry for black power in Greenwood, Mississippi in 1966. And, uh, you know, and uh, he was a member of the Student Nonviolent uh, Committee for nearly seven years. And uh, toward, uh, toward the end of his membership in, in SNCC, he was, uh, he was chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And uh, he, uh, he, he moved on. Uh, to the Black Panther Party, and uh, and eventually uh, relocated to Africa, where along uh, with uh, Kwame Nkrumah, he uh, he helped found the All African People's Revolutionary Party, and he devoted the last thirty or so years of his life to trying to build this mass independent Pan-African political party. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Next, we're going to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Brother Moses. Well, tomorrow, um, November 15, 2021, will be um, – a big day for Cuba because the counter-revolutionary, the Contras or whatever, the Gusanas or whatever you want to call the, these reactionaries are planning on having demonstrations to uh, support regime change in Cuba. And as a result, uh, in response, um, we're asking all people of consciousness to be out in the streets to counter this, the, demonstrate against these reactionaries and to show our support for the Cuban revolution. And uh, this will be held at the Cuba in DC area. It'll be all over the country. There'll be demonstrations, but in the DC area, it'll be uh, at the Cuban embassy on 16th street. And so we're asking people to come out at 12 noon to rally to support the Cuban revolution. Um, there've been other things happening. Uh, uh, the reformists, um, uh, uh, Democrats and uh, Republicans uh, in their administration 
um, passing uh, uh, infrastructure bills and uh, also uh, Steve Bannon has been indicted uh, by the by uh, Congress in terms of contempt of court. He's expected to go to jail tomorrow, supposedly. Uh, there are other things going on, but these, the, the key thing is the Cuban to support the Cuban people. This is critical that we don't let these counter-revolutionaries, Contras, uh, um, take over the, the movement and uh, uh, and that we support the Cuban revolution and stop their attempts to regime change in Cuba. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And following Brother Moses, we're bringing Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world in the community? As we, we all know that 200 nations uh, met in Glasgow and had uh, made a commitment to try to reduce global warming uh, nearly in half this decade to hold uh, the global warming below 1.5 degrees Celsius. I think that's an important move. In addition, uh, there seems to be an uh, an increase in uh, the viral infections in our country. Um, primarily, the people being infected are those unvaccinated. And uh, one one awful thing that's happening, in addition to the trial of Rittenhouse and and the judge. The judge's outrageous behavior and abuse of his judicial discretion is the Amon Ardry case. Uh, a lawyer for one of the men accused of murdering Ardry uh, said that he had been intimidated and that Ardry, in, anyway, the point is, is that um, um, Reverend Al Sharpton, he felt intimidated by having Reverend Al Sharpton or other clergy in the courtroom. Uh, and it's as if they, the quote was, we don't want any more black pastors coming in here. That was the quote of uh, this uh, um, person accused of murdering uh, Amon Audrey. So we see that uh, racism seems to be acceptably acceptable in, 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 in our country right now. We also have to reflect back in 2019 when uh, the U.S. government, Syria, and it uh, was a horrible incident. It was the largest uh, casualty uh, of his type, it was uh, uh, against the Islamic State in Syria in 2019. An American jet bomber dropped a 500-pound bomb on a crowd of women, children, and children hurtled by a riverbank. Uh, then the jet, jet tracking them dropped two 2,000 bombs, killing more of the survivors. So we have to continue to fight against this and not let people forget about our military escalations and try to 
reverse this and prevent future catastrophes and these catastrophic strikes. So that's it for a brief summary of what's going on. Oh, in addition to that, in the Philippines, uh, the former dictator's son um, is hoping, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., is hoping to secede uh, the current president. Uh, This is kind of an outrage, but we know without education and organization, people seem to vote against their best interests. As we saw uh, Tuesday before last in our very own country. So with that in mind, I just want to say I hope that we will continue to be educated and that you, uh, Africa on the Move, will continue to do its excellent job in educating the public uh, and including myself in helping unite oppressed people around the world and supporting Pan-Africanism and uh, the Cuban Revolution, the Venezuelan government standing up against apartheid in Israel. And uh, thank you so much for organizing this show this evening, Brother Africa. And thank you to the analysts as well, the panelists and guests. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Right now, we say today's theme is understanding movements and struggles of today. At this point in time, we'd like to bring in a deal ally and friend of Africa on the Moon, Brother Ben Boshi, who have had the privilege to be a, a national observer at the recent election that took place in Nicaragua, and we're going to ask Brother Ben Boshi to give us a, a general report of what he saw and why this election was important not only to the people in Nicaragua, but people to the world in general. So we just ask him to give us a general Overview of what were some of the positive things you saw while you was down there in Nicaragua. Brother Babosha, we'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Move. And we know that was a very important election that just took place in Nicaragua. Can you just give us the essence of what took place and some of your thoughts on this particular election? Thank you, brother. And thanks to Sister Eleanor, who's Analysis and information was right on time. And a special shout out to Brother Moses, who called for a very important demonstration in support of the Cuban government and against the Gusanos financed by NED and USAID, which will be standing outside the Cuban embassy in D.C. tomorrow and in New York and other cities. And we hope that you heed Brother Moses' call and go out to support this very, very important uh, struggle against regime change in independent sovereign nations because the United States has no business telling anybody anywhere in the world who their leaders should be who their president should be or who their government should be. I'm saying this in relationship to the fact that we were 
lucky to just observe the elections held in Nicaragua last Sunday. And in this election, from even before the election occurred, the United States and President Biden, who was either very clairvoyant or he is a liar, and I would think that the second thing is more of what he is than clairvoyant, who stood before the press, before the elections were completed and said the elections were not fair, they were not clean, they were not transparent, and that they were stolen. How would he know this when the votes had not even been counted? Anyway, it's all part of their effort at regime change in countries where the leadership of these countries are not flunkies for the United States, are not controlled by the United States government, and who has sought an independent path which benefits the people and the residents of those countries. So we saw this at work in Nicaragua. We must first say that America's attempt at regime change failed drastically in Nicaragua last Sunday, that the masses of Nicaraguans came out and voted for the Sandinista Party, which has given them a number of benefits since 2007, which they did not have before, and not just Nicaragua, but even in other countries. For example, they were showing that last year, Nicaragua was hit by two major hurricanes, one right after the other. But within one to two weeks, the government was able to help people rebuild their properties, definitely reestablish electricity, which when compared to what the United States has done in Puerto Rico, who two years after a major hurricane still don't have all of their electricity restored. You can see the differences. You can also listen to what the people have said in these elections, and we had the opportunity to ask people after they made their vote, who did they vote for and why? And many folks said, the majority of folks said, they voted for the Sandinista, and the reason they voted for the Sandinista was that before the Sandinista government returned in 2007, they had no major roads, they had no major schools, no major hospitals, all of that. In those years since 2007 has occurred. They now have major roads. And I must say that we specifically went to observe the election in Bluefield and in, in Pearl Lagoon, which is on the east coast of Nicaragua, on the Caribbean coast, and the population in both of those areas were highly populations of Africans and indigenous. And I'm sure that once you look at the voting pattern, 
those two areas and most of the areas in Nicaragua, because the Sandinista won by over 74%, went for the Sandinista government. And they went for them because they have worked in the interest will go to another election coming up the 21st in Venezuela. And I'm sure that we will see the same thing there. Although the U.S. has demonized Venezuela, have done everything to kill the Venezuelan revolution, have stolen money from Venezuela, have declared some puppet named Guado the president of Venezuela that nobody recognized except the U.S., you will see in Venezuela once again that the party of Hugo Chavez, the party of Maduro, will be the winning party because of the work that they do amongst the people. And America and its sanctions and all its effort have not been able to overthrow them. The same situation exists in Cuba, where the United States, through NED, the National Endowment for Democracy, and USAID, has been financing a group of counter-revolutionaries out of Miami to call for demonstrations using social media in Cuba to overthrow the Cuban government, and they're calling for it tomorrow. And my bet is that those demonstrations that they're calling for will only be in the United States because the people of Cuba refuses to allow the U.S. who cause pain and suffering in Cuba because of blockades and sanctions for over the past 60 years to determine their future. So again, Cubrother Africa, for allowing us to just bring that information to you. And in our humble opinion, it's information that our people need to add to the other information of other struggles taking place around the world where the United States government has over 34 countries under sanctions today. And we must realize that the people who suffers the most because of these sanctions are women and children. So thank you, my brother. Thank you again. And all freedom-loving, peace-loving people must struggle against this beast. Thank you. We'd like to thank you, Brother Bamboshi. For those who don't know Brother Bamboshi, he's a political organizer. He's an educator. He's a pan-Africanist. He's working, working in the Pan-African movement. He's working in the environmental movement. He's working in the Cuban solidarity movement. He wears many hats. He, wear, he wears them well. And we always like to thank him for keeping our people updated on the various issues and movements that are going on around the world and their relationship to us. As we stated earlier, we must understand the importance of information because while information where humans cannot think. So what we try to do here on Africa on the Moon is to give you a valuable information so that you can use it as a tool to help liberate yourself and your people. So this is one of the objectives uh, we try to do on a weekly basis. 
So right now what we're going to do is we're going to show our contribution and our gratefulness and thankfulness and recognize and honor our brother Kwame Ture, where Brother Anthony spoke of earlier. Many of the old heads may know him as Stokely Carmichael, but throughout the program, we're going to be um, playing little clippings of some of the legacies and lessons that he had left for us to follow. Once this particular clipping is finished, we're going to bring in Brother John Steinbeck. He can come and talk to us about the struggle that's going on with the indigenous people here in the area or community they're called thoroughfare community. We must again be aware of what's going on around around us and throughout the world. He'll give us a perspective on that particular struggle, which I think is a lesson that we can learn for all our communities when we talk about indigenous people having the right to control their own communities and understand the importance of self determination. So Right now, we're going to play this clipping in memory of Kwame Ture, and then we're bringing John Stein back, and hopefully maybe also Hare Harvey Jones to speak on the issues and struggles of the thoroughfare community. You're listening to Africa on the Move. Conscious, becoming conscious is linked to mobilization and organization, something we mentioned last year. We must make clear distinctions between mobilizers and organizers. To be an organizer, you must be a mobilizer. But being a mobilizer doesn't make you an organizer. Much confusion is to be found here. Malcolm X was a great mobilizer. He was a great organizer. Martin Luther King was a great mobilizer. He was not a great organizer. These facts can be easily seen from King and Malcolm. When Malcolm went to a place, he left a mosque. When King went to demonstrations, he broke down desegregation and he moved on. As a matter of fact, King was not concerned with organization to the point that even though he was the most popular Baptist preacher in America without the shadow of a doubt, and probably beyond the shadow of a doubt, the most loved, he could not become president of the Baptist National Baptist Association uh, Convention. Yeah, so many of them. The National Baptist Convention. <laughs> As a matter of fact, if my memory serves me correctly now, and I remember it was Mohammed Speaks that uh, carried the article on the front page in 1964 when King tried to become president of the National uh, Baptist Convention. There was so much confusion there that a minister was actually put, pushed off the stage and died in the trouble. Yeah. And of course, King lost. The man who won was a reactionary man by the name of Jackson. He never did nothing for the people, never cared about the people, just was a pork chop minister who used their money to put gas in his big Cadillac. But he was organized. But he was organized. We say that we must come to know the difference between mobilization and organization because the enemy will use mobilization to demobilize us. Mobilization is very easy, very, very easy. Because since we're people who are instinctively ready to respond against acts of injustice, anytime there's one little act of injustice, we can blow it up and we'll find people who come and make some mass demonstration around it. Miss Sally lost a job. Let's rally. She'll get her job back. People will come and rally. So-and-so got kicked out of school because the teacher's unjust. The, unjust, the people will come and rally. 
they will come to rally at issues. And this is what mobilization does. It mobilizes people around issues. Those of us who are revolutionary are not concerned with issues. We're concerned with the system. The difference must be properly understood. The difference must be properly understood. Mobilization usually leads to reform action, not to revolutionary action. If we would look scientifically at the October 16th million and more march, we would see clearly that this was a mobilized event, not an organized event. We must know clearly the difference between mobilization and organization. One of the characteristics of mobilization is that it is temporary. Organization is permanent and eternal. Clear differences must be made because the unconscious can usually be captured easily around one issue items, around mobilization items, but it's hard to catch them around organization. But these unconscious must be brought to organization. We must transform mobilization to organization. We say the enemy will come and use mobilization to demobilize us. Many brothers and sisters who've been to the Million and More March will say to you, I was there. Well, what are you doing today, my sister? I was there. There weren't too many sisters out there, but you know, with a million brothers together, you know where I had to be. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, you find brothers, yeah, I was there, I was there. I helped you. What are you doing today, brother? If we're not careful, we allow mobilization to become events. The struggle is never an event. It's a process, a continual, eternal process. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. You will listen to some of the lessons that Brother Kwame Ture left for us to take the torch up and carry it and apply it to our daily struggles so we can help reach our final destination of liberation and freedom. So we will continue this theme tonight as we discuss understanding movements and struggles of the day. We have with us right now, Brother John Steinbeck. He's working with this community named Thurfell Community. They have a struggle that's going on in this community. He can come and briefly introduce himself, or he can share with us what's going on in that particular community, community and what lessons can we learn from it. So right now, we will bring on Brother John Steinbeck. We'd like to welcome him to Africa on the Moon. And Brother John, can you please introduce yourself to our listening audience? Um, thank you, Brother Africa, for having me on. Uh, I think the audience, much of the audience knows me. I've been on your program uh, a number of times, and I had raised the question of the situation in Thoroughfare, Virginia, with you a couple of months ago, and so I'm really glad that you gave me an opportunity. Uh, hopefully, Harvey Jones will be calling in as well uh, because he's the historian of the thoroughfare community. So, But until he gets on the program, I, I'd like to tell the listeners a little bit about the story. So the story, it's not a new story. It's been going on for, for over 500 years in the, in the Western Hemisphere. It's uh, uh, part of the story of uh, genocide, and this is not uh, a genocide that uh, ended and, uh, you know, many years ago. It's, it's 
ongoing. I mean, we see it every day with the pipelines and the, the, the uh, uranium mining and all of the other threats to native lands. So in Virginia, we have a, a community. It's on the far western end of Prince William County, where I live. Uh, and I first met uh, the people of Thoroughfare back in the mid-1990s when Walt Disney Corporation wanted to set up something that they called Disney's America. And it was going to be a, uh, a theme park. And they were going to have all kinds of rides. There was going to be a ride riding the logs down the river. And, and there was going to be a, a, uh, a show that would have people go in and experience what it would be like to be enslaved, including an escape on the Underground Railroad. So uh, fortunately, the community came together, and as Brother Kwame Ture said, we, uh, uh, we organized and we beat back uh, Disney's plans. And the ground zero where Disney wanted to set up their Disney's America was the town of Thoroughfare. And the town of Thoroughfare goes back many, 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 many hundreds of years. Uh, Thoroughfare Gap is uh, a gap between the Bull Run Mountains. The Bull Run Mountains are the easternmost of the Appalachian Mountains. And it was a major route through the mountains to get to what the Native Americans called the Iroquois Highway, and that ran all the way from Canada all the way down to Florida. And today we know the Iroquois Highway as Route 15. So uh, the, Na the Native Americans had been there, uh, had had a settlement in Thoroughfare long before the Europeans came. But then the Europeans came, and they, uh, they brought the enslaved African peoples here. And what happened in the mid-1800s uh, is uh, freed African Americans uh, moved north to Prince William County, and when they got here, they were only permitted to live in certain areas. So we, in the eastern end, it was Batestown and Hickory Ridge. In Manassas, it was Prince William Street and Liberty Street. And in the far western uh, and up against the Bull Run Mountain, it was uh, the settlement, and it was thoroughfare. And as African-American families, uh, mixed race, probably a few renegade whites, uh, moved to thoroughfare, uh, there was intermarriage. And thoroughfare became uh, an inter, interracial, mixed race community black and Native American. And so when I first met my friends in Thoroughfare back when we were fighting Disney, you know, they told me all about their story. So the latest uh, efforts to, to, to fight back against the genocide uh, took force early this year, uh, actually late last year, about a year ago. And what happened was that uh, developers were eager to develop the land in thoroughfare and through crooked means, uh, in one case an adverse possession where they found uh, a distant cousin who lived in the Midwest 
and uh, and the sale of the family land without the knowledge of the 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 people of thoroughfare and in another case it was a shady tax sale where the county was supposed to contact the the descendants and but but they did did nothing to contact the descendants and then had a rushed uh, land sale and, and sold uh, the land and so the the result of this purchase by developers was that the three main cemeteries in thoroughfare ended up in developers hands and the, the, this reached a crisis point in late late last year early this year when one of the landowners put up an iron gate with a video camera and a warning of no trespassing and in front of that they placed several gigantic boulders as big as small cars and prohibited the people of thoroughfare from uh, entering the Potter's Field Cemetery. And this is the cemetery that has gravestones going all the way back uh, to the mid-1800s. A lot of the graves there are uh, field stones used as headstones and footstones. The church, Okram Baptist Church, which is the community church, about 10 years ago, built a fence around the cemetery and proceeded to clear the land. And so the developer, which is uh, currently uh, a brewery, it's called the Farm Brewery in Haymarket, uh, put up this fence and put up this video camera uh, and um, to, to prevent them from entering that cemetery. So the county became involved. The word went out in the community. The community started to be, to be organized. The, the county got involved uh, because uh, 20 years ago there had been a survey of family cemeteries in Prince William County, and there were several hundred of them or more, in, including a number of African-American cemeteries. And uh, so, but the county, even though they spent a lot of money to determine the location of these cemeteries, never bothered to put that cemetery location on the deeds. And so the, the property that was sold was sold without deeds. So the, the brewery, uh, which blocked off the Potter's Field Cemetery, also owned the um, Scott Cemetery. And the brewery proceeded, after being told not to do anything, proceeded to bring a bulldozer in and to bulldoze the uh, property there. Um, and then the third cemetery, and this is a more modern cemetery where the latest casket was interred only five years ago, and the latest cremation remains were interred one year ago. Uh, this property was purchased by another developer who was going to put up five McMansions and five septic fields. And he brought his bulldozer in and his surveying crew, and they stripped the soil around the plot to within a few feet or, or less than a foot of the existing headstones and stripped off the land there. So um, 
and 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 then the families, the Searle families, hired a Native American or contacted a Native American um, theologist who went out on the property and then found artifacts uh, adjacent to the Fields Allen Cemetery, uh, the Native American artifacts, and uh, the owner of the quote-unquote, the owner of the, the property proceeded to go out there and proceeded to remove the Native American artifacts so that, and then claimed that uh, the family members had planted these artifacts there. So the, the county became outraged. Um, it, it organized, we had a number of community meetings. We put tremendous pressure on the Board of Supervisors. And uh, the result of that has been that the supervisors have purchased one of the properties, the Potter's Field Cemetery. That's the one that's blocked, even though, so even though the county now owns it and the plan is to work with the families to turn the, the area where the cemeteries are into a historical park to recognize the significance of thoroughfare, the, 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 the locks are still there, the gate is still there, the video camera is still there, so the, the access is blocked. So, and then the latest outrage is that the county uh, had a archaeological crew come in uh, a month or two ago, and they gave a report, and they reiterated that there were bodies buried there, probably needed to be a further exploration, which might involve removing uh, a few inches of the topsoil, but that that should not take place unless there had been a thorough meeting with the county and with the approval of the thoroughfare community. So what did the brewery owner do just three days ago uh, without notifying the county, without notifying the families? He brought the bulldozers back again, and this was the area that had been bulldozed previously without a permit and proceeded to again bulldoze the ground and his what he was saying is as well you know i hired a my own archaeologist to determine whether or not there are graves there so the response of the uh county has been consistently even though they have taken certain steps been forced I would say, because of our organizing, to take certain steps, pur purchasing uh, the property that where the uh, uh, Potter's Field Cemetery is located. Hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, they're going to purchase the property where the Fields Allen Cemetery is located. But when it comes to the Scott Cemetery, uh, where uh, 75 to 100 bodies are buried, according to the survey done. 20 years ago, uh, they uh, are, are, are moving ahead and continuing with the desecration. So we're, we're kind of at a stalemate right now. In the, but the county's position is that their hands are tied because this is private property and this is Virginia and this is the United States of America. And so therefore, private property overrules everything. So so that's a thumbnail of where we are today uh, in terms of the organizing. And 
One of the things I'd like to do, and then if the panel has any questions, I'd be happy to answer questions as best I can. But uh, you you can go to uh, the the uh, Facebook page is the Coalition to Save Historic Thoroughfare, and there are, are a number of videos there, so you can actually click on the video links and you can see with your own eyes the bulldozing that's going on, the desecration that's going on too, but you can see with your own eyes, you know, what I'm talking about. Uh, the other thing that people can do, and this is very important, if you want to make a contribution to help the, the people of Thoroughfare, uh, they can go to uh, the GoFundMe page and this is a, this is a tax deductible contribution through Oakham Community Church. So they can go to the, uh, the, the GoFundMe page, Save Historic Thoroughfare Cemeteries, and then they can make a tax deductible contribution in order to help the struggle. And I would say that at this point, uh, we had a meeting last night and. Uh, it's likely that we will start to uh, stage pickets of the of the brewery because of the ongoing uh, desecration of the cemetery. So I will keep you informed in terms of you know when we have a march on on the brewery because we'll need a lot of people there. And so I'll, I'd like to throw it back to you. And uh, if Harvey's on, I'd like him to talk. Okay, as right now we all see um, Brother Harvey. Brother Harvey, if you join the board, will you please hit one so we can acknowledge your number. But as right now we don't see Brother Harvey. But two quick questions, um, Brother John, I'd like for you to share with our listening audience. Number one, can you again describe the location of where this community is at? And two, you know, Brother Kwame Therese said something earlier in his earlier uh, presentation that we, we played right before he came on, and he talked about uh, mobilization versus organization, and he talked about, you know, when they struggle, they struggle from the point of view of trying to change systems and not so much, you know, deal with reform items. I'm just wondering, in terms of the issue that you're dealing with, there are other issues similar all around the country where people are dealing with these uh, cemetery barriers, indigenous people, African people with stakers just taking it, taking these cemeteries and, and destroying them and doing whatever they want to do with them. I'm just wondering, in terms of one, again, identify where this location is at, and two, what do you think about if people would look at this whole issue fundamentally of an issue of settler colonialism? That's where foreign, foreign forces came into the territory took over and imposed their will on indigenous people. Well, I would just like to have maybe your take on that, one or two things. That would be real good in terms of trying to understand mm -hmm. these phenomena. Well, I, I think that's an important point you make is that the United States is a colonial settler state, just, just like Canada is, just like Australia is. Uh, and and we, we must never lose sight of that fact. Uh, so I personally know at least four or five other cemeteries that are, are also under various attacks uh, in, in uh, Montgomery County. 
just outside of Washington D.C. And this is in the in the the the, the heart of the uh, professional managerial class, and everything is is totally uh, politically correct there. But the cemetery property is owned by the county, and the the church and the the people of that community of the Moses Cemetery have been fighting against their own government. So in in that sense, even though you know our government in Prince William is 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 more conservative, quote unquote, they're actually doing the right thing. Whereas in the liberal Montgomery County, they're they're fighting it tooth and nail. The uh, the the people of Thoroughfare have been in touch with a number of black communities and uh, uh, Native American communities that are experiencing similar attacks. These are largely rural communities where the system is one of shared heirs. So people die and they, people just keep living on the property and nobody really has a deed to it and so on. And that and that leaves the door wide open for these developers, most of them white and all of them wealthy, to come in and to rip off the land and do whatever they want to do. And so that's what's taking place in Thoroughfare. And so, so for those who want to know where Thoroughfare is, it's really easy because you have two major roads. Uh, so, so Route 55 actually at one time was one of the major east-west highways before we had the, uh, the free expressways and stuff. And so you've got Route 55 going east-west, and then you've got Route 15, which was built up on where the Iroquois Highway was. So it's the intersection of 15 and 29, and thoroughfare is about a mile and a half west of Route 15. It's about maybe two miles west of Haymarket. And it's right up against the Bull Run Mountain. And so one of the things, and I think this in the end is going to work to the, to the benefit uh, of the people of Thoroughfare in terms of preserving uh, that, the their identity of the community, is that most of the Bull Run Mountain in that area has been purchased by a private uh, foundation called the Bull Run Confederacy. And so they operated as a park. They're also part of the Saved Historic Thoroughfare Coalition. And then you have a mill that is one of the oldest mills still in existence where they used to grind grains and that kind of stuff. And so that's there as well. And then you have another community called Old Georgetown, and that's immediately on the western side of the mountain. And that's in Fauquier County. And that was also a Native American, African American historical community. And the, the, the people of Fauquier County have a much, much better record in terms of recognizing and preserving histories of you know African peoples and Native American peoples. So... Uh, there's an opportunity here to basically uh, preserve uh, an entire area to prevent uh, the, the development from happening. But, but that victory is not assured at all. 
So the issue is going and, to be, you know, and maybe, continuing maybe organized. Brother, maybe, yes. Maybe, maybe Brother John, real quickly, because we have our next guest that's been waiting patiently. We want, want to bring him on. I would like for you to say, we'll share with our listening audience again, how can they support y'all and how can they join y'all? They can go to GoFundMe and look up Save Historic Thoroughfare Cemeteries, or they can go to Facebook and look up the Coalition to Save Historic Thoroughfare. And we're going to need a lot of support in this struggle. It's far from over. And on that note, Brother John, we'd like to thank you for coming forward and sharing the struggles of the thoroughfare community. And we want you to keep us posted. Let us know what's going on, if we can be a voice to help um, bring more people to this particular cause. We're here for you. So we'd like to thank you again for your contribution to today's program. Thank you, Brother Africa. All right. To our listening audience, this is Africa on the Move. Our theme tonight is Understanding Movements and Struggles of the Day. We're going to next prepare ourselves to go and make the transition or talking about Haiti. We have with us Brother Kweku Lumumu. He's going to be on shortly after this particular station break as we continue to give our tribute and our memories to Brother Kwame Ture. And when we come back, we will have Brother Kweku Lumumu. He will talk about the struggle of Haiti. This is Africa on the Move. And Africans must come from the bottom up from the masses of the people up. It is here then that we've come to see the real aspect of Pan-Africanism. We said that in the fifth Pan-African Congress they called for mass organizations, and immediately mass organizations sprang up throughout the length and breadth of the African world. The Conventional People's Party, a mass party, sprang up in Ghana. The Democratic Party of Guinea, a mass party, sprang up in Guinea. Throughout the length and breadth of Africa you had the TANU, the Tanzanian African National Union, which is now the CCM. My Swahili is uh, not as good as yours. It's Chumpa, Chimpuraza, Mazuri. That's very good. Oh, <laughs> my, my Swahili is bad. <laughs> Thank you. Kuduzi. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, that's their new party. But all over Africa, mass parties sprung up. If you look at the Caribbean, mass parties sprung up. And if you look at the United States, mass movements sprang up. So the call was heeded for mass confrontation. Of course, the Fifth Pan-African Congress made two definite and precise resolutions which I want to uh, highlight. Of course, Pan-Africanism from the very beginning was anti-colonial. From the very beginning it was anti-colonial. It was weak. So when they came, they didn't say to the Queen, we're going to put you out of the country. They said, you must treat the natives right. You must educate them. You must prepare them for self-government. These are things that are weak, but they were anti-colonial in essence. We must not look at the form. And we got stronger, the more this anti-colonialism will express itself. Now, anti-colonialism is nothing but anti-capitalism. Because colonialism is nothing but an offshoot, an aspect of capitalism. Therefore, if you're anti-colonial, you must be anti-capitalist, if you're logical in your thinking, of course, and your actions. Some people are not, but we are speaking of logical people here. (laughs) If you're anti-capitalist, then you must be socialist. Capitalism cannot unite Africa. Africa has to be united by socialism. Now, there's a lot of confusion here on this question of capitalism and socialism. Just recently, a young man said to me, but socialism died. I said, it did. He said, you didn't hear about it. I said, I missed the funeral. (laughs) Of course, he spoke about the betrayals that occurred in the East. You must not let capitalism confuse your thinking. 
This is a struggle which Pan-Africanism takes on. We struggle against imperialism in the illogical arena because many people think that capitalism just wants to exploit your labor. It wants to confuse your thinking and make you think just like them. And this is where the real fight occurs. So therefore, this struggle of confusing the thinking, I told the man, I said, you're talking nonsense. Socialism cannot uh, uh, disappear. It cannot die. He said, yes, it can. I said, no. He said, how do you say that? I said, well, you are judging uh, socialism by socialists. You don't do that. He said, I've never heard such nonsense. If you don't judge socialism by socialists, what do you judge it by? I say, you judge it by its principles. Every system is judged by its principles, never its adherence. So he still saw confusion. He said, you're just talking double talk. I said, okay, do you judge Christianity by Christians? <laughs> so we must not be confused here. Socialism doesn't fall because of betrayal. No system does. The person who betrays themselves goes to the mud, but the system, with its eternal principles, keep marching on. If a system fell because of betrayal, Christianity would have been finished with Judas. At least Judas had the dignity to hang himself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some of these who betray socialism don't have that dignity. Gorbachev still runs around speaking, and I'm thinking of 30 pieces of silver everywhere. Yeah. So uh, socialism is an economic system, and there can only be two in the world, capitalism or socialism, because every economic system must answer one fundamental question. Who will own and control the wealth of the country? Who will own and control the means of production? The question can only be answered two ways. Either a few will own or everyone will own. It's as simple as that. And under capitalism, we say, please summarize that we might have. No, I'm going. I thought I had 20 minutes. It's my I thought I had 20 minutes. I was going by the clock. How much time do I have left? I'm sorry. Maybe I'm off. That's what I thought I did. I was watching. Now I'm watching my clock. I'm a responsible. I'm rev revolutionary. I go by time. I got my clock right here. <laughs> fact, I can say it in two words. Black power. <laughs> and today we've gone to one, Pan-Africanism. <laughs> yeah. So there are only two economic systems, and it's going to be capitalism or socialism. Capitalism is a backward system. There's no need to discuss it. Certainly anyone who's been made a slave by capitalism ought to be hesitant in trying to support the system. But as a conscious African, I must be against capitalism, and I must, of course, seek to destroy it. So in, when you speak of Pan-Africanism, you must understand you speak of socialism. And we want to underline there's only one socialism out here, and that's scientific socialism, whose principles are abiding and universal. There's no such thing as African socialism, Chinese socialism, Russian socialism, Arab socialism. There's only one socialism. The confusion arises over ideology. That is that which guides you towards your objective. So we're saying clearly here, Pan-Africanism is not an ideology. It is an objective. It is an achievable. Pan-Africanism is the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. All we want is a unified continent with a socialist system. That's all. But you know Africa is the richest continent in the world. When she's properly organized, she'll be the most powerful. Yeah, of course. Of course, and me, all I want is power. <laughs> I'm not like others. I don't want money. I don't want popularity. I just want the power I'm supposed to get. That's all. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Pan-Africanism must come from the bottom up, from the masses of the people. You listen to Brother Kwame Ture talking about the issue of Pan-Africanism and Socialism. And he's leaving lessons for us to continue his legacy. He made a transition on November 15, 1998, and was officially buried on November 22nd. Tonight, our theme is Understanding Movements and Struggles 
of today. As we talk about Pan-Africanism and Pan-African movement, we definitely can't leave out this very important country and nation called Haiti. We are very honored today to have with us Brother Kweku Lumuma. Brother Kweku Lumuma is the External Relations Coordinator of CLASA. We will now bring him in. And Brother Lumuma, we'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Move. And if you'd like to share anything else about who you are to our listening audience, please do so. Yes, thank you very much. I'm very honored to be here. Merci uh, Ampil and in the Creole language of Haiti. Um, once once you, you, you introduced me as the External Relations Coordinator of COSA, and uh, that's an acronym of the name of the organization in full, which is Convite Citoyen Socialiste pour sauver Haiti, which translates roughly into English as Socialist Citizens Working Together to Save Haiti. So I'm really, really, really honored to be following up our great ancestor, Kwame Touré, as he talked about the dynamic of socialism and what that looks like in in relation to Pan-Africanism and the mass movements and the mass parties rising up in the African world. And we, we're glad to be a part of that continuing tradition in IET. Okay, Brother Namuma, we're going to give you the mic. We want to get some understanding of what really is happening with Haiti and Haiti's importance to us and the rest of the world. So can you just give us a general background of what is Haiti and why it should be important to African people and the rest of the world from your perspective? Well, thank you very much. That's a, a you know that's something that we could spend years studying and and discussing. But in brief, IET or Haiti is important to African people, especially as it relates to Pan Africanism, because it is our original model of Pan African success, not only in the Americas but in the entire world. People attribute Pan Africanism to a 20th century phenomenon. People attribute socialism to a European philosophical phenomenon that later became uh, an organizational phenomenon. But nearly 20 years before Karl Marx was born, IET was established as a socialist nation that was developed as a result of Pan-Africanist struggle. And we're talking about 1804. And the struggle began in, in earnest as, as far as the Pan-Africanist struggle began in the century prior, in the 18th century. So we saw different African groupings, nations of Africans coming together to struggle against the imperialism of that day and succeeded in uniting themselves, not as different tribes, not as disparate nations, but as one African people. And they chose the identity of Haitian or Haitian in the same way that we see socialism unite the peoples of Tanzania under President um, uh, Nyerere. I'm sorry. And so Today, we still see that there's no tribalism, unlike the neighbors in Rwanda, unlike the neighbors in Kenya, where there is still tribal factions and violence. 
we see that socialism was successful in establishing a united identity and people in Tanzania so that there is no tribal division any longer in the same way that we saw in 1804, that struggle of Pan-Africanism unite the people under one identity, one Haitian identity, one African identity. So when people say, just like Kwame Ture was questioned about the failure of socialism or the, the death of socialism, people ask about, well, Pan-Africanism hasn't worked. It's failed to unite African people. That's not true. We can see right here in the Americas that it has succeeded in uniting a people in IET. It has succeeded in uniting a people in Tanzania. And so what's incomplete is the socialist character of IET because that was undermined. And we can talk a little bit more about that, but it, it's clear for anyone who really studies the, the genesis of the, the nation or the empire of liberty that is IET in 1804, they can see that it was within the Constitution enshrined socialist principles before Karl Marx was born to, to pin the principles of, of, of his brand of socialism. We had Dessalines, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, to pin the African model of socialism. Kwame Ture talked about as far as the natural process of Pan-Africanism that was disrupted by the European invasions and colonizations of Africa that continued in IET in the Americas. But these Africans rose up to challenge that, and they successfully did so to establish a Pan-African nation that would go on to liberate other spaces in the Americas, end enslavement in other spaces in the Americas, and also do so and support that mass movement and mass party emergence in the African continent. And so it's very important for any Pan-Africanist, for any socialist to understand the central nature of IET in the liberation struggle of African people and anyone oppressed in the world because it is that important for us. Brother Lumumba, can you give us a update, current event type of understanding of the struggle that is taking place now in Haiti, particularly in terms of the role that the U.S. is playing as it relates to the oppression of the Haitian people? Sure thing. So let's start with the um, thing on many people's minds for the past month, and that is this scare about 17 Christian missionaries being kidnapped in Haiti. What does the media do to demonize Haiti? We see in relation to the United States, the characterization of IET as this sinful, evil place. We saw that when the United States invaded IET in 1915 with its Marine Force and occupied for about 20 years. We saw the emergence of this idea of the zombie coming out of Hollywood and coming out of American print media, where they painted Haitian people as these evil, Satan-worshipping, backward people who would zombify you if you crossed them. And that has carried on to this very day in the form of fear of Haitian culture in the name of voodoo or voodoo, as some people know it. And so people are afraid of Haitian culture. They're afraid of approaching it, except under the guise of Christian missionary organizations. So we have 
a saturation or an oversaturation of these organizations in a nation which has always had a very, very strong presence of Christianity since its very beginning and has never been anti-Christian. In fact, in 1804, when the nation was established, freedom of religion was there in the Constitution. They never ran any people out of the country because of being Christian. Christians were accepted and embraced. And in fact, it is the, the European Christians that refused to acknowledge the existence of this government that allowed freedom of religion, whereas the European nations did not allow freedom of religion. So when we look at these Christian missionaries that were kidnapped, we have to ask ourselves, it's been nearly a month, and yet the media is not telling us who these people are. Nearly a month, you have hostages on an international crisis scale, and the media has yet to tell people what their names are, who they are, where they're from, what their business is, except that they're attached to this Christian aid ministries, which coincidentally is tied into uh, pedophilia and rape of children in the form of Jeremiah Mast recently is one of their members who was going down with this organization and was, was, was confessed actually to raping over 30 boys in IAT. And the organization forgave him and reassigned him. And so now when we look at these people who were kidnapped, where were they coming from? They were coming from an orphanage where they were exposed to young boys in IAT. So we really, really, really need to know who these people are and what they were doing in IAT where one of the members has already confessed to raping young boys in IAT. But that's not what the media, the mass media, in, in, in fact, or the capitalist corporate media is reporting to us. They're reporting that these innocent missionaries need to be prayed for and need to be liberated and that these people who kidnap them are evil terrorists, that they are Haitians and you should be afraid of them. So, you know, th this dynamic has continued under U.S. media and U.S. military of demonizing IET and making IET seem like a place that needs salvation by white Christians. So this is something that continues to this day that we really need to pay attention to and to discuss with our brothers and sisters, not only in IET, but in the Americas in general and in the United States in particular. So when we advocate for anything in relation to IET, we're doing it with a level head and with a pan-Africanist perspective. Okay. Now, my next question, and I'll open up to my panelists. They may have something they would like to um, raise with you, but in terms of looking at the, the major political players who have historically played a role in the oppression of Haitian, Haiti people, we talking about people like Bill and Bill and Bill Clinton, Canada. We talking about people like uh, um, even the Red Cross. We talking about uh, the Clinton Foundations. We talking about those type of forces. It has been reported many times that they are really, the, truly, the major players who are shaping the the, the direction and the essence 
of what is taking place in Haiti as relates to not allowing our Haitian brothers and sisters the right to choose their own government and function according to their own will. Can you talk about some of the players in Haiti and how we as African people, people of goodwill, can play a role in assisting our people to help them acquire their their their, their so-called liberation and independence from your perspective? Can you just give us a sense of how you view these reactionary forces, who they are, and what they are doing to stifling the growth and development of our brothers and sisters in Haiti. Well, well you really you really named the murderer's role of <laughs> reactionaries in relation to what they have done in IET over the, the decades, over the generations, because when you look at the Clintons, they these people, the Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton, had their honeymoon in IET. This is a place before they really began their their major political career. This is where they established themselves in IET in Haiti, and from then on, they invested in enriching themselves at the expense of the not just the people, but the political system in IET. Because you see a Hillary Clinton most recently as the Secretary of State under Barack Obama, come in and change the election results in 2000, after the 2010 earthquake and use that as a guise for coming in, coming in and correcting the results according to their interests, the Secretary, the State Department of the United States interests, and choosing the third runner-up to the election to win the election. And then they did the same thing in the 2016 election when they, when they chose the runner-up to then be the winner of the election. And so they set a standard of corruption and undemocratic operation there. You have Bill Clinton, for example, working with George Bush. I'm sorry, his, his successor, George Bush, and George Bush's successor, Barack Obama, to go in and do this United Nations um, envoy work with both of their foundations, the Clinton Foundation and the Bush Foundation, to work together to raise money or control the funds that were raised to support the rebuilding of the damaged areas of IET after the 2020 earthquake. And you see how, so you see how the U.S. administrations, regardless if they're Republican or Democrat, they work together in tandem. You've got a Democrat in Bill Clinton, a Republican in George Bush, and then a Democrat in Barack Obama, and of course a Democrat in Hillary Clinton, all working in cahoots to exploit the resources of IET and change the election results of IET to suit the interests of capitalists in the United States after a crisis like the earthquake in 2010. And so you see this time and time again in the way in which they use crises or manufacture crises in the media, like this, like this recent kidnapping, to be able to manipulate the population both in the United States and, and in IET so that they can do what they choose to do and make inroads before, once again, an election year in IET. So they'll be able to manipulate the masses to determine who it is that will run the country for the next five years after this election. And in closing, Brother Lamoma, can you share with us in terms of what can we do what organizations are available? How can we best assist you are doing 
and the work that's going on and going on in Haiti to help our people. Well, of course, we will give the community, the listeners, the access to our organization that we represent, which is COSA. The organization has a website, which is www.kossa.com. And also the External Relations Office has a phone number, which is 404-884-6638. Once again, that number is 404-884-6638. And you don't have to support this particular organization, but we are based in IET. We are actually based at the epicenter of the most recent earthquake that happened this year that everybody was hearing about. And so we've been doing a lot of work around restoring that area, but we're also in coalition with many other organizations because COSA is not the only progressive or revolutionary organization on the ground, but we work in coalition with other organizations across the nation that you may be more interested in working with. And so you can use COSA as a conduit with contacting these other organizations that you may want to work with and vetting organizations as you go forward. And so um, I think that's a good offer that we can give to the listeners is to be a service to them to figure out how it is that they want to support work that's happening in IIT. All right. So listen, listen, audience, you've been listening to Brother Kweku Lumuma. He's been speaking to you on the issue of the struggle that's going on in Haiti. Please take heed to the information that he just dropped to you, drop on you in terms of how you can involve and show your support. Remember, Haiti was was the first and only truly independent African nation in the West, and it showed its pan-African character by supporting other countries and nations uh, throughout Central and South and Latin America. So when Haiti called, we must come and answer and support our brothers and sisters. And Brother Lamumu, we'd like to thank you again. And for one more time, folks, we'd like to invite you into that community and some of your comrades. How can again get in touch with you one more time? Yes, if they're interested in that, once again, the website is www.kossa.com. That's kossa.com. And the number for the External Relations Office is 404 404- Eight eight four six six three eight. Once again, the number is four zero four eight eight four six six three eight. And on that note, we'd like to thank our brother Lamuma for sharing this important information with us about Haiti. And right now, we're going to begin to pay ourselves to make our next transition. We have with us waiting patiently, brother Lewis Wolf from Covert Action. We will bring him on in a few minutes. But right now, what we're going to do is we're going to continue to pay our tribute to Brother Kwame Ture for the next three to four minutes. And then when we come back, we'll talk about covert action, the work that they are doing under the banner of Brother Lewis Wolf. Remember, this is Africa on the move. We'll be right back. But our struggle since the 60s, you will see nothing but betrayals by the petty bourgeois elements in our society. The African bourgeoisie is the most corrupt bourgeoisie in the world. In Africa, they seek luxury in the midst of mass suffering. There are more Mercedes in Africa than in any other continent in the world. 
in America, as soon as they arrive at a position based on the blood of the people, they snatch that position and run away from the people. But you must not think that they represent the people. They only represent their opportunistic self using the people every step of the way. So you must not be confused. It must be clear then for the 60s, the class struggle in the African Revolution must be more ruthless and uncompromising than in any other revolution. Here then the masses must come without pity and without mercy to trample upon these reactionary pigs who after the people have gained struggle through their blood come to hand back the gains on a silver platter to the very enemy the people fought. This will come as a natural consequence. The people themselves are everywhere screaming that it's time for them to deal with these reactionary pigs. Even in America they say, our leaders must be held accountable. They're only saying here that these people must be accountable to those who made it possible for them to get there. Thus, not only is the revolution inevitable, but it is clarifying itself and it is qualifying itself. For the African masses everywhere, the Claire Poise position now for class struggle has become inevitable and irreversible. The petty bourgeoisie everywhere will be running for cover, but the masses will spare them not. Consequently, we who have dedicated our lives to the people's struggle, we who knowing that the people will always be free, we, understanding that we must make a contribution to qualify our struggle since the 60s, have been, have been dedicating all our energies to only one task, the organization of the masses of our people. The organization of the masses of our people. We are not running for mayor, we're not running for president. No changes can come from the top down, we're not stupid. Changes can only come from the bottom up. The masses and the masses alone can make them. If you want to learn something from the 60s, the lesson is simple. Organize the masses of the people. Thank you. But our struggle since the 60s, but our struggle since the 60s, you will. He was giving you some lessons that you should learn and must learn from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. You must. Take these lessons seriously, because remember, those who fail to learn them, fail to learn these lessons, you are doomed to repeat them again, and we can see this taking place right now. So we will continue down the road of understanding movements and struggles of the day by bringing in our brother, Lewis Wolf. He's one of the co-founders of Covert Action. We're going to ask him to share with us about, share with us about what is covert action and what are some of the current works and projects and things that are going on or interest that our people need to know. So right now we'd like to bring in Brother Lewis Wolf and welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome Brother Lou, how you doing? Good remaining good evening, Lee, uh, Comrade Lee, and it's a, a honor to be on your program. Thank you. And it's always an honor to have you. We like talking to you and working with you because you y'all do good work. Good work. And we often tell people, without information, they cannot think. And without organization, they can't think clearly. And covert action provides both aspects of that statement, information and organization. Brother Lou, just for those who may not be familiar with covert action and the purpose of it, will you just briefly describe what is covert action and what are, what are some of his goals and objectives? Why it came to existence? It is a magazine we launched in 1978 uh, 
co-founded with Philip Agee, the fir- one of the first, very first CIA whistleblowers who worked in Latin America in three countries, Uruguay, Brazil, I'm sorry, Uruguay, Ecuador, and Mexico. Uh, but finally he said he was out. He resigned after 12 years. Um, he o- often told me that he, he regretted not resigning sooner. But the day he resigned, he declared himself a socialist, and he wrote four books. Um, one of them, the famous one, most famous one, was called On Company Business, Inside the, Com- Inside the Company. Um, folks can find that online, I'm sure. Uh, he also wrote a book uh, called, um, called On the Run, and he was on the run. In fact, he was deported from seven European countries at the behest of the CIA and the State Department. Um, very courageous man, and he taught me so very much. Um, so we have continued the magazine uh, since 1978. We, we published for 27 years in print, uh, full color. Most of the la- last part, well, most of the issues are in full color, uh, up to 78 pages each issue, full of footnotes, full of uh, photos and documents, and the real story, and not only about the CIA, but about so many countries where the CIA is active, and that's almost every country in the world, including the allies of the United States. Um, and we came to understand that we have to report the, the real story, the, the truth. This is not rhetoric it's not storytelling it's not conspiracy this is the real story what we publish and i'm just going to go through some of the issues and by the way i want to i want to uh, salute kwame Touré because he left a, behind a huge legacy for us all and a huge the, uh, amount of things that he taught us as i heard on this in this talk uh, in this this evening in africa uh, some of your listeners are aware of something called AFRICOM. AFRICOM is, uh, is an acronym for the Africa Command. It's the latest command which, uh, of the Pentagon, like the Southern Command, uh, the Northern Command. Well, now there's an Africa, Africa, AFRICOM, the Africa Command. Did you know that the AFRICOM has now set up uh, over... Uh, 30, base, 30 military bases in, in 30 countries in Africa across the continent. Think about that. Now, why are they there? They're saying they're protecting our security, the U.S. national security, as it's called. That's, an, that's a, a, another a very strange formulation, national security, because um, they are really there. I think it's very clear, and I'm sure Lee knows this, and everyone, most of your listeners, if not all of them, know that they're there to access the minerals, the oil, and the other natural, natural resources, as well as the labor of people in Africa, cheap labor. Um, and that's what the CIA does around the world. That is, they're supporting the corporations, U.S. multinational corporations, and their interests, as they're called. I, I use the interests in, in quote. Um, and so AFRICOM is now active, as I said, in 30 countries. Beyond that, we've written extensively. Oh, I should say now 
we're no longer a printed magazine because to print a magazine these days costs many, many thousands of dollars, and we don't have those dollars. So uh, we decided in, in uh, uh, after 27 years in print, uh, we finally decided again uh, from 1978 to 2005, we decided again in 2017 to make it an online publication. And your listeners can find us on online at covertactionmagazine.com all one all one line covertactionmagazine.com there we publish now four stories four new major investigative articles each week you know we can't catch up with the or nor do we want to catch up with the Washington Post New York Times but we don't have their money we don't have their hundreds of, of journalists we're basically three people producing this uh, this work um, along with, I must stress, many writers that uh, write for us from all over this country and, and around the world. We are actively recruiting new writers from the global south. And if any of your of the listeners tonight know of people, journalists, working journalists, um, who would write for us from the global south, please get in touch with us. Uh, my email is loww7 at live.com. L-O-U-W-7, that's the word, the digit 7, not the word 7, dot com. Or, um, well, that would be the best way. And now, I, I'm just going to run through some of the articles we've written just uh, in the last, and, and Lee, you should interrupt me if you want you me to slow down here. Uh, we, we're writing now about Joe Biden and a, a new threatening, dirty, threat of, of a dirty war in, in Ukraine. As, as many listeners will know, the U- U.S. was involved in another invasion earlier in Ukraine. Uh, Paul Kagame, maybe a no, uh, maybe a, a word, a name your listeners will know. He is an absolute war criminal. He per- perpetrated a huge and horrendous uh, genocide in in Rwanda. Which resulted in the in the lives lives lost of over 200,000 Rwandans. We've published uh, articles with photos, gruesome photos of the of the killings. But let me say about Paul Kagame. His best friend is none other than Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton has toured Paul Kagame around around this country and 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 uh, across Europe as well. And he's been quoted calling Paul Paul Kagame. His last name is K-A-G-A-M-E. Um, he calls him a, a statesman. Those who study <laughs> Paul Kagame um, understand that he is anything but a statesman. He's a war criminal, and he led what was called the Rwanda Patriotic Front. And 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 you'll see, and if if you look at our article on that on him, uh, he's leading a a. Uh, huge line of well-armed uh, Rwanda uh, Patriotic Front soldiers. We've written most recently uh, about the uh, regime change operation against Nicaragua. Right now, as we speak, there was an election this week, uh, early, earlier this week, in which uh, um, the, the, the victory was of the, San, of the Sandinistas very clearly and um, overwhelming uh, victory. But it's been described in the mainstream media, 
the New York Times, Washington Post, and the rest, and, and CBS and so forth, as a false election, a fraud, fraudulent election. Um, you know, and one of Biden's favorite uh, words is a failed state. He's called Nicaragua a failed state. He's called Cuba a failed state. Well, some of us question not only that allegation, but because it's very racist as well as very uh, ultra-nationalist, just to use that term like that. Uh, We also wrote about a recent revelation of a CIA plot to kidnap and kill Julian Assange, who was an extraordinary whistleblower who founded WikiLeaks. And uh, he is now in prison in a very, very bad prison in, in London called Belmarsh Prison. It's, a, it's, it's worse than almost any prison in this country, and I know a little bit about prisons in the U.S. to say that. Um, he's been there now uh, four years, and he's, his health has been, been endangered by, by the, his, the conditions there, the food. It's very cold, bitter cold inside that, that prison. Uh, they never turn the lights off. It's a hell, as he's described it, a hell hole. Um, we, we've written about Joe Biden's uh, and the Pentagon's new uh, Cold War against China. Clear that they're, they're still very obviously uh, a continuing Cold War of the past against, uh, against Russia, which was the Soviet Union. The new Cold War, and very clearly so and very blatantly, is against China. And uh, I, I'm not going to take up our time to talk about all of that, but people will understand. It's a very convenient, um, you know, uh, way, which I, I will say was launched in part by by the previous president, uh, who was a horrible in the allegations that he was making against China, and he called the COVID, what we know as COVID-19, he called it the China virus. Uh, we've written about the so-called pullout, <clears throat> pullout from Afghanistan, our lo- the longest U.S. war in history. Now, I, I put pullout in quotes. Yes, we withdrew, Biden withdrew the troops finally, but I should point out to listeners that it's, they're leaving behind thousands of mercenaries, uh, very, very clearly mercenaries. I'm not making that word up. Uh, as well as uh, a significant number of CIA personnel. Uh, in the beginning, just after the pullout a month ago, um, pullout of the troops, they said the CIA people and 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 the uh, about a, about 1,200. U.S. Uh, mil, um, I'm sorry, men in uniform, all men. There's very few women involved. Um, were left behind to guard the guard the U.S. embassy, but that embassy is no longer a State Department building. The building is still there, and you can look online. And you see the huge building that was built there. Compare it to the picture photographs of the of the embassy that was there from 1970 71. It's like it's mammoth size. Um, we've written about the n- new evidence that uh, Robert Kennedy, 
that the, the State Department and the CIA and the FBI uh, plotted together to prevent Robert Kennedy for, from ever becoming um, uh, to reach the White House. Um, and, uh, and as w- listeners will know, he was finally assassinated like his brother, John F. Kennedy. We've written about blood, what, what we called blood for oil in Mexico. As you know, there are, are many death squads running rampant in, in Mexico, and that's what we mean by the blood. There are hundreds of people have gone missing. Many, many journalists, over, over I think 300 journalists have been assassinated in Mexico. Women face uh, horrendous uh, challenges to their, their safety and, their, and to rape and torture and the rest. We've written about the weaponizing of space by the, by this administration, um, and they're actually including, you know, they've sent um, not only missiles, but they've sent spaceships through space to uh, take space for us, to hold space for us, to colonize space. And let me add here that they're including the weapons that they've uh, launched against uh, space or into space are some of them nuclear armed. Is that not insane? We've written about the uh, suicide, what was called a suicide in 1949 of the then Defense Secretary of Defense, James Forrestal. People here in Washington are familiar with the Forrestal building on Pennsylvania Avenue, on Massachusetts Avenue. Um, and I'll just say quickly that he was alleged to have jumped out a window. Well, the photograph of that window, which we published in, in our article, um, it was a very small window. Uh, it would be hard, and he was quite a tall, a very tall man. So he's alleged to have jumped out the window from the ninth floor of the uh, of the uh, you, uh, the. The offices in the National uh, National Rehabilitation Hospital. Um, well, the photo didn't show the fact that he would have had to reach back because the photo, after he allegedly, allegedly committed suicide, the the, the window was st- still almost closed. So what did he do? Reach back as he's jumping and reach back and shut the window behind him? Not going to be. We've written about... Uh, uh, the uh, plane crash, which was described as a, a accidental pl- plane crash in 1960, that killed uh, Senator uh, P- Paul Wellstone, a very progressive uh, senator from Minnesota. He and his wife and I think four other people were killed in that crash. Um, why was the FBI there before the plane crashed? Another good question. We've written about the assass- what was called an, a, a, an assassination, and I think it was, in 1979 of the then U.S. ambassador to, um, to, um, to Afghanistan, Adolf Dubs, the UBS. We've written about Colin Powell. Colin Powell, before he died, was revered by some because he was the first... Uh, uh, one of the very first uh, African Americans to reach high office, 
uh, including Secretary of State and and in the in the Pentagon. But people should know that if you remember the My Lai massacre in 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 Vietnam, he was in a plane as it was taking place above above it, and he was watching it. He never he never order, ordered it to stop. It was um, I think it was 90 women and children were massacred horribly. The photos show that. Then he was uh, testified in front of the United Nations to try and claim that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction, as they were called. Um, at that time, he testified, he held up a, a vial, a very small vial, which purported to have uh, uh, chemical weapons, that, that a weapon, a liquid weapon, uh, that, that was allegedly captured in, in, uh, in Iraq. Um, funny, he's holding it up as, as if it was captured in Iraq, but who knows what was in that vial. So he was he was uh, given a very um, huge uh, state funeral and buried at, at the uh, Arlington Cemetery. But he's anything but a hero for those who know his record. We've written about the a scam, a so-called charity. It's a scam that was in, in Syria where the U.S. has been bombing, uh, together with is, Israel, has been bombing uh, heavily against Syria and causing a, a huge, uh, um, uh, vast starvation, a famine. Many children have already died. If not from the the bombings, they all died because there's no food and no no pot of potable water. They have they have have horrible conditions that they're living in. Now this is a scam that people, they're collecting thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars from innocent, good, you know, well enough thinking people to give money to help Syria. But it's a scam, as our article proves. Mm-hmm. We write about, um, you want me to continue a while here or what? Yeah, you can continue, you got time. Okay. Uh, we write about, uh, an article called "Was Afghan Was the Afghan War for Oil, Opium, and Propping Up the State uh, Stock Market?" And it's a well-documented article, like uh, like all that we write, all that we publish. Uh, those articles are all well-documented. Um, you know, uh, I should point out here that Joe Biden has a long history as a Cold Warrior man, very close with the CIA for many years. At one point, he said out loud that he wanted to uh, put uh, Philip Agee in prison. And I'll add here that he also said that about myself. Uh, Why? Because uh, I was involved with Philip Agee and others in identifying hundreds of CIA personnel from public sources, not from a single classified document. No secrets were involved. It was from public sources. Um, and why we why we did that because we uh, we believed and 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 made very clear that we held them responsible for the crimes of the CIA. Um, we didn't want them to get killed or any of that. In fact, not a single one that we ever identified was killed by as a result of being identified. The the one case that they always point to is Richard Welch, who was the 
CIA chief of station in Greece. Uh, he was very close with the military junta in, in Greece, a very violent uh, group of people. Um, he was assassinated, but, but he had been identified about seven times before we ever identified him. Um, let's see. Uh, we write a lot about Joe Biden's long history of, of collaboration with the Israeli lobby. Uh, that's no secret. But almost every president in our in our um, history, at least recent history, uh, has has that same relationship with the Israeli lobby. But it continues under Biden. Biden has never said a word to defend the Palestinian people against the assaults and the crimes of, of the of the Israeli ruling class. Uh, he has always uh, been willing to speak at the uh, annual events here in Washington uh, uh, held by by the Israeli lobby. Um, we wrote about North Korea. Some of your listeners may know may know may. Uh, have heard or read a book by Izzy I of Stone called The Secret History of the Korean War, the Korean War in the 1950s. Well, guess what? They're launching new uh, propaganda against North Korea. Uh, ostensibly, they say, because it's a communist country. But the real reason is they're interested in in, in um, forcing... Uh, they always support South Korea, and so this is an effort to stoke up the the uh, uh, differences between North and South Korea. We've written about Denmark, of all places, and the role of Denmark and Norway also in collaboration with the National Security Agency, NSA. Who would have thought uh, that about those two countries, right? You know... You know, Brother Lou, um, yeah. can you speak a little bit about, if you can, can you call any research that you have done on the CIA and their relationships or using coups, using coups as a means to control uh, countries' foreign policies and government's policies? Well, it's no his- no secret that that the U.S., particularly the CIA, um, has put in place dozens of dictators, dozens of criminal people into to head countries down the long list of countries across the three continents. Um, and so in order to make that happen, they, they conduct what, what are called coup d'etats. Um, and in almost every single case, they are very violent, such as what took place in Chile in 1973. Uh, on September 11th, I should say that was the first September 11th before the one here, September 11th, 1973, um, there was a, a violent coup um, in which uh, Salvador Allende, who had been elected in a free and fair election by any measure, um, but because he had spoken out against U.S. U.S. policies in Chile, which was interested in, in seizing their their raw materials, their raw raw minerals, and and so um, 
he was assassinated. Um, the, he, the, the official story of the coup says that he, he committed suicide when he was surrounded by the troops. But the Moneda Palace, where he was, um, where, the, where the, their equivalent of the White House, um, was shelled from the air. And so they claimed, it's claimed still by CIA uh, mouthpieces that he committed suicide. But it's very obvious that he did not commit suicide. He refused to do that. And they have finally killed him. Uh, so there, there are coups happening all over. In Bolivia, last, uh, four years ago in Bolivia, um, they're for their resources. Um, in in uh, Actually, I would say in Mexico, there was an effort to replace the, the government there. It didn't happen, but there was an effort to, to overthrow Mexico, uh, our our, part, our our neighbor to the immediate south. And I could go down the list. I, I, I lived and worked in Laos, uh, next door to Vietnam, um, where the, the U.S. and the CIA had been very active since the 1950s. Um, and there were about four successive they weren't coups, but they were they were um, uh, uh, support of the what, what then was a a royal uh, government. Um, and I lived there from 1964 to 67. I was not in the military and didn't have a, a clearance one day in my life. I, I was there as a conscientious objector because I refused to join the military. And I, I worked with a group called IVS, International Voluntary Services, and um, building wells and, and water seal latrines, and, and I helped to build a school. Anyway, um, the CIA was all over the place, and they used to come come around in their almost their their uniform because even the Lao would point them out because they had they always had khaki pants and plaid shirts. Well, you know, you're not going to see a single Lao or a single other American because there were other Americans there with the State Department and and I, and us with uh, in IVS. We weren't wearing plaid shirts, certainly not. Anyway, um, hundreds of them were there, and so I, I won't go on about Laos, but uh, people should know that it is the most bombed country in the history of warfare, based on the per capita population uh, of Laos uh, during the, at the time during the beginning of the war. That time there were probably six million people in Laos. It's a huge country, but but a small population. By the end of the Vietnam War and the secret war in Laos and in Cambodia, uh, there were about two and a half million uh, Lao left. So that gives you an idea of how many, the cost of war. Now, Lou, when we talk about CIA and U.S. intelligence department, the State Department, many times um, we know that they create what's called groups of uh, control oppositions. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between groups like ISIS, Boko Renon, and these kind of so-called terrorist groups and their relationship to the Central Intelligence Agency, if any? I'm sorry. Lee, I couldn't. You kind of got garbled there. So could you repeat? Can you what that was? can you talk Question? about can you talk about the relationship 
uh, the Central Intelligence Agency and these so-called um, groups, terrorist groups, many times where they help create and, and, and direct them, such as ISIS or Boko Haram, or you know different kinds of so-called terrorist groups that you feel all of a sudden just yes. pop up from from nowhere, and you later on find out that they were created by intelligence agencies, agencies such as CIA. Can well, you just talk a little bit about that phenomenon? If it walks like a duck and, and and sounds like a duck, it might be a duck. In this case, many of those groups, uh, Boko Haram, um, other so-called terrorist groups, uh, were created by this by the CIA. Uh, that's certainly the case in Afghanistan. Uh, the death squads in Afghanistan during the during the, the the declared war. But see, most of the wars that I've been talking about today are undeclared wars, the CIA kind of wars that the CIA promotes and 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 is actively involved with uh, in so many parts of this world, uh, in in the, particularly in the global south, are undeclared wars. The only declared wars were World War One, World War Two, and Vietnam. The rest are undeclared wars. So uh, and the Korean War. I'm sorry. That's those four. Otherwise, all the other wars are undeclared. By undeclared, when I, I'm saying by the Congress, this U.S. Congress. But unfortunately, um, I will say the Democrats and the Republicans are guilty of, of and, the, and in league with the Pentagon, perpetual war. They're devoted to war. They're not devoted to ending war. I mean, if you examine and look very closely at the Pentagon, and it's uh, right now it's uh, 800, uh, $673 billion, I'm sorry, trillion dollar, 673, no, excuse me, $673 billion budget. And every year the Congress throws all the money uh, more than they even ask for again and again and again. And but it, new reports have come out about the hundreds, literally hundreds of contractors that the Pentagon hires. So that's another channel for them to get more money. See, uh, by paying paying contractors to to do their do uh, be involved. And the CIA also has dozens of contractors. And um, by the way, the Pentagon budget is public. That figure is public. Try and find out what the CIA's budget is. It's totally secret, top secret. Yeah. The question is, can you trust the figures? Are they really being honest to the public, or are they being deceptive like normal? Well, they're only honest in, in regard to the fact that the Congress has to take a vote on them. So there is a number attached to that to that uh, budget. Um, Yes, you're you're rightly. I mean, uh, we can't trust uh, and shouldn't trust um, what they tell us the budget is. So it's probably uh, at least one by a factor of two or three bigger than the, what they tell us. But I, I prefer to stick with the numbers that we know, and then we look beyond those numbers. Okay, good. Now, Lou, I have some of my panelists, analysts on the line, been waiting patiently. Okay, each one of them either make a comment or maybe ask a question to you and 
the nature of the magazine, the magazine, the work cover action. We start off with Brother Moses. Brother Moses, any question come you'd like to raise with Brother Lewis Wolf as relates to the nature of that work and the magazine cover action. Brother Moses. Yeah, um, well, I just want to say, you know, um, given that these counter-revolutionaries uh, in Cuba are uh, rallying tomorrow, I will say a little something about the the U.S. against the Cuban government, um, notorious for trying to assassinate uh, Comrade Fidel Castro. Uh, I think that would be appropriate. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. I will simply say that uh, the, sp- the facts speak for themselves. The, the CIA tried 637 times to assassinate Fidel Castro, Six, and this is documented. And um, there's a famous photo of, uh, of, of Fidel holding up a copy, I think it was the New York Post, um, plot to assassinate Fidel Castro. And he was smiling and said, you know, and he, I think he was, had a cigar in his mouth. Um, he was not naive about this one little bit. Fidel was the last person ever to be naive about anything. He was very clear. Um, but um this this uh these these uh so-called protests against um Cuba were all launched on on one day i think it was 11th uh, 11th of um, uh, december if i got it right i'm sorry i'm not sure of that date um and it lasted for about 4 hours in uh in one province of cuba but it spun out all over this country, well, not all over this country, and certainly in Washington and New York and in Miami, where they have a strong contingent there. Um, and I was present at the rally in front of the White House. There were about 2,000 of them that, by the way, they were brought here in buses and, and planes. All their tickets were all paid by the U.S. government, by our taxes, Okay. This was not a spontaneous demonstration by any stretch. And then we had a, a, a group of about 400 of us in the park above the uh, north of the White uh, north of the White House, across the street from Pennsylvania Avenue. And they started coming at us, um, baiting us. In fact, I spoke to someone yesterday who told me that they were talking about, and he sits in the in the peace an anti-nuclear vigil, which has been in front of the White House, right directly across from the White House for 40 years. And he told me that they were talking about, we want to go kill those fuckers. Those were the words they used. And um, and some of them were armed, some with pipes and, 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 um, and poles and so forth. And they came at us, and by that time, actually the Park Service and the Secret Service did put up not a real fence, but it was kind of a uh, floppy fence, if you will. And so they put that fence up and and that, and then stood there and kind of threatened these people against trying to do violence. But they were ready to. In fact, one of them was pointing at, at myself and and waving at me, "Come, come at me! Come on! Come on! Come, come!" And he was hoping that I would. Well, uh, we had agreed uh, on. All, all along throughout that rally that we would not get into discussion with these people at all 
and certainly allow them to bait us or to, to do that. I should say that the effort to overthrow uh, <clears throat> Cuba has been going on since 1961, and still today there's a there's a blockade against Cuba. It's called a called something else, but it, I mean it, it this allows any corporation to get, send either medicine or or tools or any equipment to to Cuba. And any ship that lands in Cuba's harbor um, uh, cannot unload anything. And and then they're put on a list, a watch list by the U.S., and for six months they cannot return to Cuba again. This is uh, total craziness. Since Eleanor, one question or comment? I'd just like to... Thank Brother Lou Wolf for his extraordinary work and uh, how fascinating and informative uh, his discussion is. I have one question. I've read articles about Salvador Allende and that the U.S. had declassified their involvement in the coup uh, in Chile in the 70s. Is that true? They have declassified some of the documents, and I've seen them, but there's, they're full of, uh, of black uh, pen, you know, blocking out some uh, parts of the, of the documents. So it's not a total declassification at all. Let me add here that I recently came, just last week, came across a video, um, an, hour and, an hour and 31 minute video of the man who's called the CIA historian. His name is David Robarge, R-O-B-A-R-G-E, and your listeners can look up that video and see for themselves. Now, he, Robarge, I have to add here, is not a real historian, but that's his title. I happen to know from people who, who know him from the days that they were, they were in the CIA that say he's a total uh, mouthpiece for the CIA. And so when you see this video, and I should point out that the video is about the CIA's most favorite uh, operation, kind of operations, and they're called covert action. Covert action. And um, you may wonder, but that's sort of why we named our magazine Covert Action Magazine. Uh, we have no affiliation with the CIA. So um, look up that video, and it's a very interesting... Uh, Spell his last name again, Brother Lou, for our listening audience. Oh, spell it? Spell his last name. David. R-O-B-A-R-G-E. Robarge. Okay. Now, about Salvador Allende and and the coup in Chile, he actually says on this tape, you'll hear it there, that um, we had nothing to do with that coup, with that day. I couldn't believe he said that. He had the gall to say that. And then he also said that Salvador Allende, Salvador Allende committed suicide, even though he says he says on the tape that um, some people, some friends of uh, Allende said he, he, he didn't commit suicide. But we know, he said. And Brother Anthony, any qu- a question or comment for Brother Lou? 
Yes. Yes. Um, I recall uh, reading um, at, at some point uh, somewhere that Osama bin Laden was uh, was actually uh, a, a CIA. Uh, well, well, he was uh, he was he was an uh, he was a paid agent of the CIA at one time. Earlier, that is correct. That is okay. correct. He was what is known in the in the lingua of the CIA. He was an asset, CIA asset, um, and uh, it's that's well documented. We've written about Osama, um, and I should just point out that the alleged uh, time that they um, uh, found this this doc, this uh, um, compound, Autobot. Abbottabad in Pakistan, um, uh, and then they claimed that they captured him, and it was a special forces, uh, supposedly a special forces uh, group that captured him and assassinated him. Well, uh, I just want to point out that Osama bin Laden had a severe uh, case of, um, what was it, um, he was he was in the at that time living in a cave in Afghanistan, um, and he he would have he would have had to have access to uh, blood blood transfusions and so forth. And I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but and he was very sick and he would have died without that those transfusions. Uh, but he 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 lived for nine more years, so. Um, uh, and they claimed they killed him now, but he would have died then. So I'm just saying that, yes, he was a CIA asset, no question about that. Okay. Uh, and I bring that up because he was he was blamed uh, uh, yes. for, for, for the bombing that took place. On well, 9-11, yes. Absolutely, yes, you're right. Um, there were some tapes that came out that were clearly um, – uh, had been had been um, done by somebody, whether it was the CIA or somebody, and it wasn't really. He had different. It wasn't really. We're not even sure that it was Osama. It was somebody else that sort of looked like him, but they're very different facial features, and his ears are different than what his ears were in those photos. Um, and his voice is rather strange too on the, on the tape. So uh, that came out where he said that he was involved in the in the bombing of, of the World Trade Center. What can you say, Brother Lou, about what they may be doing in Venezuela right now? Uh, recently, there was a case dealing with. One of Venezuela diplomat Alex, can't think of his last name. He was kidnapped from Cape Alex Saab, yes. Alex yes, Saab. Alex Saab. Can you just talk a little bit about that, based on what you do know? Well, he was a Venezuelan diplomat who was uh, uh, kidnapped and uh, put on trial, and the U.S. declared that he was uh, uh, subversive and and so forth. Well, he was defending his country. He was a diplomat just like any diplomat. That's what he did. And he sat in an office, and they and they grabbed him and kidnapped him and, and threw him in prison. 
and under very bad, very poor conditions. Um, they, they rarely allowed them to have a drink of water. Um, if you don't have water, if you don't hydrate, you you you, you can you know, go down. Um, and and that's that's an analogous case because uh, Venezuela has the third largest uh, quantity of oil in the world. Um, you know, there's an old saying about about oil, uh, which applies more to to uh, what's called the Middle East, and the, and the saying is, "What's our oil doing under their sand?" <laughs> well, it's similar in the case of Venezuela. What is our oil doing there? You know, so um, Venezuela is is clearly a target, a very serious target of the CIA and the State Department and the Congress. They all line up like like uh, good soldiers behind the uh, these the marching orders to take down Venezuela. Uh, Maduro is not a dictator by any stretch. Um, that's the way that the mainstream media describes him. Uh, so, just like Fidel was not a tyrant, I mean, I'm happy to tell you that I, I once, was, uh, together, with, I was on a delegation to Cuba, and we were received by Fidel and actually shook hands with him. And he asked me, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a journalist. He said, oh, really? He said, he said who do you write for? I said, Covert Action Magazine. Ah, oh, I know about that magazine. I know about that magazine. And his hand, when he shook my hand, I kid you not, enveloped my hand. I couldn't even see my hand anymore. His hands were so big, I couldn't believe it. So he said, how long are you going to stay there? I said, well, as long as the CIA is there, he said, well, I guess you'll, you'll be there a long while. <laughs> we we left. <laughs> so, you know, the, 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 the CIA has something called, it's well known as called the, the um, uh, Mighty Wurlitzer. If you're familiar with org, church organs in large churches, mega churches, they have a church with uh, organs with huge... Uh, uh, they're called Wurlitzer was the name of the of the brand of uh, organs, and the mighty Wurlitzer, as is described by the CIA, when when um, uh, William Casey was the director of the CIA, he said, "We own the media, meaning the mainstream media," and that's that's sort of the mighty Wurlitzer. So they can make stories up uh, about anything. And they have this mighty Wurlitzer, and those articles will appear suddenly in in any number of, of newspapers around the world. John Stockwell, who I knew, uh, he's still alive. Um, he ran the operation in Angola, and he said, we sat in the CIA station there, and we cooked up stories. Uh, uh, one of them was about Cuban soldiers raping Angolan women. Well, it never happened. But that became mm -hmm. a, a story uh, appeared in the New York Times, you know. So that's how they do it. And Brother Lou, we'd like to thank you for coming on this program and sharing with our listening audience what is Covert Action hey. Magazine and what type hey, of materials they Real can... quick, yes, go before ahead. we end, mm -hmm. I'd like to let people know if they're interested 
We have full sets of the magazine, if folks are interested, the 78 magazines that we printed from 1978 to 2005. If, if any of your listeners are interested, um, we wish, wish we could give them away because uh, we have to pay for printing then and still have a lot of bills. But uh, we can offer them to your listeners for, for $395, which includes shipping. I'm talking about 78 magazines. It's a pile about four feet high. So if you have room for them, we can send them to you. So you can get in touch with me at my we email. So Say how what? can they get a copy? See, I want to listen to you. How can they get a contract? We can get a copy of it. How can they get a copy? My Well, I gave it earlier. My email is L-O-U-W-7, the digit 7, not the word 7, L-O-U-W-7 at live, L-I-V-E dot com, like a live animal. And we certainly I wish we could give them away, but we we can't do that. Yes. We understand. We certainly would give our endorsement to your magazines and to our oh, and, and you can supporters. subscribe. I'm sorry, you can subscribe for twenty five dollars to uh, to read our our magazine online at covertactionmagazine.com. That's our website. And I would think that's one of the best investment you can make. It become well informed about the world and the different forces that exist. This is what COVID magazine um, does. So to our listening audience supporters, please support COVID Action Magazine and work of Brother Lou and others by doing just what he just stated. And on that note, we also would like to encourage you for information dealing with the slave trade and who owns slaves and financial records. There's a volume a two-volume book that was just produced by Bob Brown on the Pan-African Roots, Volume 1 and Volume 2, titled We Demand the Full Disclosure and Digitization of All Slavery Era Records. We encourage you to go to the website www.a-aprp.gc.org. Take a look, purchase that book. It should be in your library. A copy of all of Cobra Action Magazines, another resource that should be in your library. Please get this information, because without this information, you know, you clearly will not have a, have a um, tool that would aid you a lot more clearer in terms of understanding the past so you can deal with the present and so you can shape the future. So information is key. Information is powerful. Brother Lou, we'd like to thank you. you got two minutes for your final thoughts, and we have to close on out. Thank you, Lee, so much. Um... I would say that people should understand that they should never believe the official story on any issue, whether it's 9-11, whether it's, you know, except maybe for the weather, you know, whether it's rain or shine or whatever. But the official story coming out of the government is almost by, by rule uh, false. And so you should not have believed the official story when you read your newspaper uh, it's full of, of lies. The other thing I would say is that politicians are dirty. Not all of them. There are exceptions, and I support some of them. But they they are involved in in their own. They give a rubber stamp to the CIA's uh, operations. Uh, they have a, two select committees in the House and the Senate to do oversight. Well, we always say oversight. That means you look over, over past you don't look at and that's what they do 
and they give them every dollar that they ask for and beyond. So um, that's all I can say to tell folks to be vigilant and don't believe what they tell you. Thank you. And your website address again is? CovertActionMagazine.com. All one line. CovertActionMagazine.com. And like always, Brother Lou, we'd like to thank you for sharing your work and doing the work that's needed to help move humanity forward. We'd like to thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. To our audience, this is Africa on the Move. I'm Brother Africa. As we often tell you, we're going to be in the seat and we're going to take the heat. As we define it, we're going to stand behind it. I got that phrase and the statement from a beloved brother that I had a chance to work with in the TV media in the area where I live, Brother August Moon. I like to give people all their praises. So, before we close out, we're going to take a rubbish culture break, and when we come back, our political panelists and analysts are going to give us that reflection of today's program. So don't you go nowhere. Just use Africa on the move.
living in pain Today is the same And nothing ever changes Hung by the news Can't tell the truth Filled with abuse And everywhere there's danger How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey. Yes, to last through my journey. Yes. When we must decide to get off the ride And stop going through these changes We must prepare and learn how to care For soon we'll be there While our lives won't be in danger And when the light is clear Oh, how beautiful I will be To know that I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Hellerino. A bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino! You can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights, pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, 
and all the Pelovinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be, to know that I've been here, and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, because Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. And creed, we need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed, plant the seed of love, and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone, so all the world will know that Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love, Palestine. That's right. Palestine needs her freedom, so does all of humanity. We welcome you back to Africa on the Move as Brother Africa. 
We're in the city. We're going to take the heat. As you define it, we're going to stand behind it. Today is the 14th day of November 2021. That theme tonight was Understanding Movements and Struggles of Today. Before we go to our panelists, analysts, final thoughts, and reflection of today's program, we would like to remind you that, please, if you haven't purchased a book yet, please do so. The Pan-African Roots, Publishing Volume 1 and 2, um, book, which is titled, We Demand the Full Disclosure and Digitization of All Slavery Earl Records. Please do so. Go to the website, www. A dash A P R P dash G C dot org. Make your purchase. There must be a source in your book. If you really want to know maybe who is your slave master, where your family will purchase that and what it costs. You know, it will give you information to help you fight this war of liberation. At the same time we'd like to encourage you that please join Africa on the Move with other organizations under the banner of the African Awareness Association. We will be taking our fever ride tour this year to Cuba in July, from July the 23rd to the 31st. We'll be going to Cuba, and Cuba will visit two provinces. Those provinces are Havana and San Diego to Cuba. Come and join us. And last but not least, we ask you to join us every Sunday night from 7 p.m. Eastern Time until as we discuss issues that affect our community. This has been Africa on the Move. Spread the word. Help us be our audience. We want at least a million listenership in the next six or seven months. I know we can do that. I know we can do it. We can do it. We're going to ask you to help get organized and come and join us. If you'd like to be a supporter and a member of the fan club of Africa on the Move, please email us at AfricaOnTheMove2 at Gmail. AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com. So right now, we're going to close out this program with some reflections from our political panelists and analysts. And right now, we're going to start with our, our, our sister, Sister Eleanor. We'd like to have your reflection um, of your final thoughts for this program. The mic is show, Sister Eleanor. <clears throat> Well, I want to thank uh, thank you for a wonderful show, Brother Africa. I had a qu- another question for Brother Blue Wolf, and that is, I understand that um, Bolsonaro is now under indictment. But I, I don't seem to be able to find anything in the popular news media. Would he be able to... Uh, give us an update on what's happening with Bolsonaro, the fascists and so we will give we will give you the contact number where you can contact Brother Wolf and he will address you directly. Okay. Okay, thank you. But uh, I just want to say thank you so much for a wonderful show, um, and have a very good week to all the analysts and. Uh, I continue to stand in solidarity with uh, um, all oppressed people. Uh, I struggle for liberation of us, the African-American and indigenous people in this United States of America. But during the interim, I am in solidarity with the Palestinian people in their struggle against Israeli apartheid. 
and with the Cuban Revolution. Uh, it's a great victory for the people where the masses have clearly uh, been empowered and controlled the means of production. I um, just thank you so much for keeping this uh, wonderful show, this vigilance going, and uh, look forward to next week's show. Thank you so much, and have a great evening. And you do the same, Sister Eleanor. Next, we will go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, your reflection of today's program, your final thoughts. Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. It's been a wonderful show. I'd just like to say I, 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 uh, I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And if we don't reverse correct verdicts, uh, I'm pro-choice, and I vote. And I think the women hold up half the sky. That's why I support the Equal Rights Amendment, E-R-A-E-S. It's been a wonderful show, and I, and I hope that people see the method to the madness, that a true revolutionary is guided by great feelings of love for the people, and that that's the key, uh, loving the people and, and directing their path. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And we now will take you to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, your reflection on today's program and your final thoughts. Yes. Um, I thought today's program was very informative. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, in spite of the offensive being waged by imperialism, uh, People are resisting throughout the world in various ways, uh, you know, to the oppression that imperialism uh, brings. And I thought, uh, and I thought some of the examples pointed out by the special guests to today's program uh, highlighted that. And uh, I think it uh, attests to the need. Uh, for pan-Africanism, uh, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. And it's only through permanent mass organization can we bring that about. And I want to thank you for having me on the program today. And uh, special th- uh, thank you uh, to our special guests today. And speaking to our special guests again, we'd like to acknowledge their contribution to this program and to as well. We'd like to thank Brother Ben Bushy Shingle, John Standback, Brother Quick Cool Lamuma, and Lawrence Wolf for sharing perspectives dealing with their movement and their struggles and their work. We'd like to thank also you, the listening audience, that allowed us to come to your homes on every Sunday evening where we can speak truth to the powerless and the powerful. We'd like to remind you that we'll be on every Sunday, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. Spread the word, help us build our audience. And if you'd like to become a fan, become part of our fan club and support them, just email us at AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com so we know how to get back in contact with you and we can do this work together. Remember, 
Without information, you cannot think. Without organization, you cannot think clearly. Let's get organized. Let's get organized. Let's get organized. So remembering and recognizing the transition of our beloved revolutionary Pan-African brother, Kwame Ture, we can leave you with another lessons, lessons that, lessons that he has left with us as it relates to religion and revolution. Then he'll be closed out with some revolutionary culture. Thank you. we see you next week. This is Brother Africa from Africa on the Move. We're going to keep moving. It will be solved. There's a difference between revolution and reform. Big difference. In reform, a man observing a foundation, observing a system, sees many problems. But he assumes that there's nothing wrong with the system. The foundation of the system for him is a good system. Thus, what he seeks to do is to change the building as best he can, but he wants to leave the foundation intact. Example, if I came to this building, it's Ackerman Hall, is it not? If I came to Ackerman Hall and I looked at the foundation, the foundation was falling. It was just falling, couldn't possibly stand. If I were a reformist, I'd say, okay, put a piece of board over that. So we cover the foundation. We haven't touched it. And then I'll come here and say, put a window there. Put a door here. Put a frame here. Put two rooms where there used to be one. What I'm doing is reforming the system. I am trying to make it look different, but I'm keeping the same rotten foundation. You must understand that because this country is full of reformists, black people notwithstanding. And these reformists have a tendency to deceive you to let you believe that things are really being changed when in fact the foundation has not been touched and the longer it stays, the more rotten it becomes. The more rotten it becomes. A revolutionary comes into the building, observes Ackerman Hall and says, looks at the foundation and said, hey, this foundation is filthy, it's rotten, it's corrupt. It must be torn up. A new one must be put in its place. Once he makes that decision, and once that theoretical decision which he's made is demonstrated actively in his day-to-day life, you have a revolutionary. Thus, a revolutionary is not someone who seeks to reform a system. He's someone who seeks to replace it. I'm a revolutionary. I'm not a reformist. I want the American system destroyed. It must be destroyed and has to be replaced. It has to be replaced. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Again, I'm not calling for revolution. I see it coming, and I want to be part of the solution. I don't want to be part of the problem. I've been the victim too long, so I want to be part of the solution. I am saying that all of us must opt for revolution. All of us must opt for revolution. Now, revolution is very scientific. There's nothing emotional about it. There's nothing emotional about it. President Sekou Toure, a wise and courageous African revolutionary, says that in revolution there is no sentimentality. There is none. Whether I like something or do not like something, it is scientifically determined for me, thus I must do it. So I have no sentiments involved in my work. I just have to do what I have to do, and I will do it the best way I can. Best way I can. Now, revolution, we said, follows scientific laws. If you come and you look at the foundation and you see the foundation is rotten and you say that you want to replace this foundation, you want a new system, you're asking for revolution. Because what you're saying is that you want another system where there is a system. And we know scientifically that no two things can occupy the same place at the same time. I mean, that's logic. 
So if you say that uh, you're against capitalism and you want another system put in the place of capitalism, then all you're saying is that you want revolution because capitalism and this other thing cannot occupy America at the same time. Only one, only one will occupy it. Only one will be dominant. Thus, if you say you want revolution, you understand you're talking about scientific principles. Two systems cannot occupy the same space at the same time. I'm opposed to capitalism. I seek, I seek an economic system which must follow the principles of scientific socialism. This system must come, will come, all over the world, America notwithstanding. It must come and will come. To And he was taken 
quite illegal. You're in a Milan. Dig out me gold. In a Milan. Digging out me pearl. In a Milan. Dig out me diamond. We are going fight, 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 fight against apartheid.
Negroes. 